Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. Hello and welcome to Historical True Crime, the podcast where we take a look back at history's darkest crimes and criminals. I'm your host Lizzie and today is episode 41. We're going to be traveling to New Zealand in the late 1800s and today's episode I want to give a bit of a trigger warning to. It will include, not in graphic detail, the death of children because today's episode is on baby farmer, Minnie Dean. One of the most notorious criminals to ever come out of New Zealand was Minnie Dean, the first and only woman to be executed in the country's history. In the 123 years since, a legend has developed around her notoriety, and it's been preserved in literature, theater, poetry, and even a folk song. The argument over Minnie's legacy has persisted, despite the considerable time that has passed. It's never been easy to be a single mother, but in the late 19th century, women had to rely on their friends, family, church, or community organizations for financial support or childcare if they themselves had to go to work. Public criticism was also at an all-time high since people were expected to have children within the construct of marriage and rear them with two parents. Some women simply would struggle to cope. In New Zealand, there were several instances of infanticide or child murder that made the news because mothers were disposing of newborns or leaving them to die. According to New Zealand history, Prior to the establishment of organized daycare facilities, single mothers, and even some married women, would pay other people to take care of their children. This arrangement could be temporary, while the mother was away at work, or it could turn out to be long-term, as women would pay other people to take their children off their hands, as sort of a kind of informal adoption. In the late 19th century, This behavior was a subject of considerable public investigation. New Zealanders first learned about the practice of baby farmers, paid carers who mistreated the children in their charge, covered up their deaths, or purposefully killed the infants through high-profile British and Australian court cases in the 1880s. The state tried to regulate the paid daycare system in an effort to stop this Quote, fearful slaughter of the innocents. All households that accepted payment for caring for infants under the age of two for more than three days in a row were required to get a foster home license and submit to police inspections under the terms of the Infant Life Protection Act, which was passed in 1893. In reaction to one of the most spectacular criminal cases in New Zealand history, three years later, and spoiler alert, it's Minnie Dean, the system is tightened even more. 
According to Conleaf for Headstuff.org, on October 2nd, 1844, Minnie Dean is born in Scotland. Wilhelmina McCulloch was her full name, although it was soon abbreviated to Minnie. Her father worked as an engine driver, and she was the fourth of eight girls. Her mother passed away from cancer when she was 13, and shortly after, she made the decision to immigrate to New Zealand. It's unclear exactly when she did so, because the next time we hear about her, she's a young widow of about 24 years old, traveling with two young children when she lands in the city of Invercargill. When her husband, a physician in Tasmania, passed away, she told the locals that she made the decision to relocate to the city. In reality, it seems likely that this husband never existed, and that the oldest of these two children could have been the reason she initially chooses to move to New Zealand, given that she lists her maiden name as her married name. But despite the reason why she decides to immigrate, in 1872, at the age of 28, she weds Charles Dean, a local. Charles is the owner of an inn or a pub, depending on the source material. It's reported that his business is successful during the years of the gold rush, but when the gold fields had been mined out, business slowed down. As a result, in 1878, Charles is compelled to try his hand at sheep farming, but he's found to be a pretty poor farmer and then has to use his land as collateral for a loan. Life wasn't always that difficult for the Deans because Minnie adopts a young girl named Margaret when she's five years old in 1880. And at that point, both of Minnie's older daughters are already married. Even this joyful occasion is marred by sadness though because one of Minnie's daughters, Ellen, battled postpartum depression and she ends up dying by suicide, and murdering her two children. And then the New Zealand land market crashes in 1884, forcing Charles to declare bankruptcy. The family will lose the farm. But six months later, he's able to discharge himself from his bankruptcy. They'll relocate to the small town of Winton in 1887, where Charles is able to pick up a sizable house for a great deal, because a mortgagee who had similarly been affected by the decline in land prices failed to pay. Unfortunately, this exceptional stroke of luck was quietly rendered meaningless when their house catches fire. After the fire on the same property, the family will build a two-room cottage, and Charles will start breeding pigs. Minnie is forced to begin to contribute financially because money was so scarce and she does so by watching children. Uh, today, we might refer to someone like Minnie as a foster parent, but back then she was somewhat callously referred to as a baby farmer. Having an illegitimate child at this time could lead to social exclusion. And in Scotland, where Minnie and many of these early settlers to New Zealand were from, a covert unwed pregnancy that resulted in adoption could lead to the disgraced mother's death or social expulsion if she was discovered. However, a simple 10 or 20 pounds to a person like Minnie could remedy the situation. In order to take care of the unwanted child, desperate families would pay baby farmers a flat fee or a monthly stipend or both. It's known that at least 16 of Minnie's charges 
were children born outside of marriage. But how did Minnie find these children, or how did these children's parents find Minnie? Well, Minnie published a number of anonymous advertisements in South Island newspapers throughout the 1880s and 1890s. According to Frost for Atlas Obscura, one of her earlier ads read, quote, a respectable married woman wants to adopt a child, comfortable home in the country. Or, wanted by a respectable married woman with no young children, a baby to nurse, or one or two young children to bring up, or a baby to adopt. Up to nine young children under the age of three could be in Minnie's care at any given time. And perhaps it was inevitable that some infants would become ill and pass away. It was in fact during a time of quite high infant mortality, especially if they were born into disadvantaged circumstances and lived in crowded quarters. According to New Zealand history, in 1889, a baby of only six months old passed away in Minnie's care. And two years later, a child of only six weeks old will also pass away due to congestion in the lungs and heart valve inflammation. The newborn who died and the other children at Minnie's cottage received excellent care, but the inquiry that was done after these deaths found that her facilities were simply inadequate. And by that time, Minnie was the subject of a full-on police inquiry. Police became alarmed and would increase their surveillance. But Minnie still wanted more children, as evidenced by her sending out more anonymous newspaper ads. Additionally, there is proof that she was attempting to take out life insurance policies on these children. In 1892, a three-week-old infant that Minnie had adopted because the mother paid her 25 pounds, was taken into custody by the Christchurch police. Police tracked Minnie to a boarding home where they discovered the infant being fed from a bottle of foul, curdled milk and dressed in filthy clothes. The birth mother of the infant said that she could hardly even recognize her child. The police believed they most likely saved the baby's life and they persisted in being suspicious and continued to keep an eye on Minnie. And in 1893, the police commissioner wrote to the Minister of Justice expressing new concerns about Minnie's behavior. But things won't come to a head until 1895, and it's on May 2nd when a railway guard observes Minnie boarding a train while carrying a newborn baby and a hat box but she only has the hat box when she makes her return trip home, which as railway porters will later attest, was suspiciously heavy. The missing baby is eventually linked to Jane Hornsby, who had that day sold her one month granddaughter to Minnie. Hornsby would recognize a piece of clothing that belonged to her granddaughter when they took her to Minnie's cottage. The police end up conducting a search in Minnie's garden and it's there they'll discover the bones of a four-year-old boy, as well as not one, but two newly buried baby girl remains. Eva Hornsby, a month old, was one of the babies, and Dorothy Edith Carter, another baby girl, was the other. Evidently, Carter had been entrusted to Minnie in a circumstance that was eerily similar to Hornsby's. An investigation found that Dorothy Carter had overdosed on the narcotic laudanum, 
which was at that point frequently used to quiet fussy babies. Again, according to Frost for Atlas Obscura, it's while she's awaiting trial that Minnie will write a long statement that reads in part, when I got on the train, I laid the child down on the cushions, she was asleep. Well, in reality, she had dosed the infant with laudanum before boarding the evening train, but she would overestimate the quantity. Later on the trip, she would notice that the baby was dead. Panicked, she placed the body in the hat box that evening in her hotel room and tied it up. She leaves for the train station with her hat box and pocketbook as if nothing had ever happened. After the bodies were discovered in Minnie's garden, she is charged with infanticide and taken into police custody. A month later, she'll go on trial in the Supreme Court for the murder of Dorothy Carter, and renowned attorney Alfred Hanlon will defend her. Undoubtedly, her arrest and trial created a media frenzy, but it was also partly the novelty and titillation in seeing a woman on the stand and indicted on serious charges. Gruesomely, baby dolls and hat boxes were being sold by enterprising individuals outside the courts as trinkets or souvenirs. In addition to the portrayal of Minnie as a murderous monster, there's a significant shift in public opinion on baby farming as a result of other high-profile cases with high volume and neglect overseas that greatly influenced New Zealanders' public and law enforcement perceptions of the practice. All of this most certainly had an impact on Minnie's trial outcome and her status as the first woman in the country to be put to death. Minnie's defense was that both the deaths were unintentional, as well as the death of the older boy who she claimed drowned in 1893. Her lawyer asserts that she kept the deaths a secret in order to avoid negative attention, as she had previously experienced. The jury, though, was not convinced by this position, even though it might have stood up if there had been only one death. This was due to the fact that Eva and Dorothy would die so quickly after they were placed in Minnie's care, as well as the fact that Minnie did not let Dorothy's death stop her from going to collect Eva. Minnie would receive a guilty verdict and a death sentence as a result. Minnie would pen her own memoirs over the course of the following two months, insisting that all of the children who died while in her care did so due to natural causes. She maintained her innocence all the way up to her August 18th execution. The Otago Daily Times reported, quote, She walked straight on without a halt to the drop door, gave a scrutinizing glance, first at the gallows and its belongings, then at the half dozen people standing below, a contemptuous, loathing look at the hangman, and placed herself in a position to facilitate his work as much as possible and took a few long breaths while he was adjusting the rope and placing the white calico cap over her head and face. Minnie was then asked if she had any final remarks by the sheriff. She said, quote, I have nothing to say except that I am innocent. When the trapdoor was released, she allegedly said, Oh God, let me not suffer. And Minnie would be laid to rest in the Winton Cemetery. After dying in a fire in 1908, her husband Charles would be buried close by. The New Zealand police would work hard to stop the practice of baby farming. 
Many is one of the major driving forces behind the original passing of the 1893 Infant Life Protection Act, which stated that anyone who accepted children under the age of two for more than three days in a row with payment was required to register as a foster home and submit to inspection by the police. And this was extended to include children under the age of four a short while later in 1896. But Minnie Dean's death would also contribute to the folklore of New Zealand, and a local rumor had it that nothing would ever grow on her grave. A folk songwriter, Helen Henderson, was reared on stories about Minnie, and she'd even go on to write a ballad about her. And more recently, a metal song has been composed about the life of Minnie Dean. In subsequent years, there's been an attempt to rehabilitate Minnie, Lindley Hood, for instance, an author, depicts her as the victim of a scapegoating scheme that aimed to hold her responsible for the social issues that forced a baby farming business. Hood's extensive investigation, along with the not unusual use of laudanum to calm youngsters in her care, showed that desperation and optimism were more plausible causes than bloodlust. According to Hood, it's quite debatable if Minnie Dean deserves the horrific status she has in New Zealand folklore. Finally, her descendants would collect money in 2009 to have a gravestone erected on her unmarked grave. But strangely, before they could do so, an unofficial tombstone suddenly materialized there. A month after this, the memorial was taken down and a more conventional gravestone was erected in its place. That brings us to the end of another episode and the life and crimes of Minnie Dean and the practice of baby farming. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you did, please remember to review, rate, subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback for us or a suggestion of a case you'd like us to cover in an upcoming episode, you can reach us on Instagram at historicaltruecrimepod or by email at historicaltruecrimepod at gmail.com. And we'll see you next week for another dark and notorious case from history. We'll see you then.